Finland Toyota Studio, it's Coalfield and Company. Keyshawn knocks the ball away. Foster got it back. Keyshawn got it back. Out to Williams for the slam dunk. Nervous time for the Rebels. Blackshear. Download of Baker underneath. Shot blocked oh. by Ham. What a recovery by Royce Ham Jr. Wow. Here come the Sabres right to left. Quickly out in front. Pen stop by Leonard. What an opportunity and what a big time save. Stopping Dylan Cousins. Patrick deals across to the right. Intended for Patrick. Check tightly, and now it's out in front, they score! Pacioretty to Stone, and the Knights lead 5-1. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. Big night around Las Vegas, uh, winning efforts from the running Rebels and the Vegas Golden Knights as we start the 5 o'clock hour. Much to get to, we got breaking news all over the National Football League. We'll have a little more conversation about the uh, big game games in town on the football front. Shrine Bowl on Thursday, Pro Bowl coming up on Sunday. Ari's back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It's uh, Cofield here on this Wednesday. Uh, Breaking notes, the Raiders have added an assistant GM in Champ Kelly. He was up for the GM job. He's now part of the management team as the assistant GM. And uh, Bo Hardigree, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, is going to be the new Raiders quarterbacks coach. He has been all over the league. He's only 37 years old, so he was uh, just with the Patriots, the Jets before that, uh, Dolphins in the past, Chargers. So he'll be one of the guys working very closely with one Derek Carr. Big five time. Battle Born Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five. Number five. So Shrine Bowl goes down tomorrow. ShrineBowl.com is where you get your tickets. It's a really cool event. Just like the golf tournament in town, the uh, Shriners uh, open. Uh, This game benefits the Shriners Hospital for Children. And uh, I was out there along with Q Myers over on uh, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. And they had a bunch of the kids, the patients out there. I mean, it's super inspiring. What the fundraising does for these kids is uh, just tremendous. And they got the football game going down. A lot of familiar faces were out there. We uh, we talked to Brock Purdy, Iowa State quarterback, a little earlier in the show. And, you know, um, the rosters are kind of ever-changing. And when I first looked through the roster, I didn't see uh, any familiar names. And then I got to the game, or check that, the media day today, and I looked over and I'm like, wait a second. There's a guy over there, that big guy. That's Armani Rogers. All right, well, Armani is back in town. If you don't know who Armani Rogers is, he was a quarterback with UNLV, with Tony Sanchez. He moved on from the program. Once uh, Marcus Arroyo took things over and he landed at Ohio, uh, he played a decent amount of quarterback. He wasn't the primary quarterback, but when he did play, he did a lot of what he did at UNLV. And Armani was never the uh, the most uh, you know prolific passer, but man, he can run. And for his size, he is amazing. He busted off a record 99-yard touchdown run for Ohio. We saw him do that on multiple occasions. You know, 60-plus yard runs for UNLV and. When I was talking to Armani Rogers today, um, I guess this shouldn't be a surprise, but uh, as he moves potentially towards an NFL career, uh, he's moving to tight end. That's the position he's going to try, and um, he's a gigantic guy. You know, it's funny. I talked to a bunch of running backs. I talked to receivers, and, you know, they weren't much bigger than me, and I'm like, man, Armani is gigantic. He's pushing 6'6". I mean, think about it. He hasn't even done, you know, lineman or tight end weight training yet, so he probably has a frame – 
I'm thinking he was probably about 230, a quarterback. He has a frame that I'm sure could easily carry 245, 250, 255 and not lose much speed. So he's going to go for it. His dad played in the NFL, and I, I hope it works out. Um, uh, and he, he, here's the most important thing. He seems like he's all in because I mentioned quarterback and, hey, have you thrown the ball at all? And he's like, nope, tight end, tight end, tight end. It's a um, an idea that's relatively fresh for him. But, hey, maybe in a couple of years we see him make the league as a project. We've seen plenty of dudes, you know, in that size range who didn't play tight end at, you know, 6'5 and 240 uh, make it into the NFL at that position. Number four. UNLV did their uh, signing day 2.0 today, a second signing day. And this one on the recruiting front was all about the transfers. Uh, That's been the concentration. And some of the significant players announced today, a combo that actually played together in high school. Ricky White III, a wide receiver who spent time at Michigan State, was a top 50 guy at his position. He's now at UNLV. And by the way, everyone who was announced today, all seven players, are enrolled and taking classes uh, at UNLV. Uh, Ricky White and Harrison Bailey played together. Harrison Bailey is a quarterback transfer from Tennessee. He goes right into that quarterback room. and I mean, I don't think he's 1A. I think he's going to have to fight for the gig because Cam Friel did a lot of good things last year, and Doug Brumfield maybe the most talented of all the guys. But I haven't seen Bailey yet. Um, coming out of high school, he was the number three pro, you know, throw quarterback, pro uh, quarterback prospect in the country and he brings a lot of intrigue to the room Uh, they added more size at receiver more height at receiver they added multiple offensive linemen I think both guys Kobe Bryant at SMU and Preston Nichols who's coming from Charleston Southern are intriguing dudes And, and the most important thing I think you get out of this is UNLV can bring in upwards of 31 or 32 guys. They're at 17 right now. And don't look at that like, oh, man, they're struggling to get guys. I think they're trying to play all of the recruiting fronts and pick and choose to fill the holes that, you know, they had last year. So there's going to be another wave of players coming up in just a little bit. Number three. Reno and UNLV meet up last night. Wolfpack. Had one eight in a row coming in. Rebels get it done with a really good first half. Pack got back into the game, got it down to six. About 10 minutes left, and then UNLV went on a mini run, got some big buckets from Royce Ham. Donovan Williams returned. He had uh, 17 points in 26 minutes, and all eyes were on Bryce Hamilton. Good crowd last night was there, and I can tell you, man, People were oohing and on around Bryce, and everyone's all hyped up because he just had 42 points against Colorado State, was the national player of the week. Pretty impressive stuff, right? And Kruger said coming in, um, he wondered how Bryce was going to react to all the attention he's been getting and scoring 42 points, and um, he really enjoyed the, the effort from Bryce playing under control. My concern was even Bryce putting a little bit of pressure on himself, you know, national player of the week. And to come in here and, and you know, like, you, you never know what, what would he consider a drop-off. You know, what, what do we, is he concerned? Is he nervous about that? I knew the guys would have energy. You know, Reno game, uh, knew it would be a good crowd. They, the guys were, were excited. I mean, they were, you know, foaming at the mouth to get back to work. Uh, but, I mean, Bryce, again, answered the bell. I think he was, he was patient. 
He didn't, uh, he didn't force anything early. Um, he didn't go try to get 42. And I thought that was uh, the maturity that he showed in that. Uh, it was incredible. I mean, National Player of the Week, uh, I'll have to ask him what it feels like. Never had that <laughs> opportunity, but I thought he did what he needed to do for UNLV to win today, and I, I just think that's awesome. Kruger was also thrilled that uh, Bryce Hamilton finally got a win against Reno. It's been a very lopsided series to this point. Uh, Bryce, uh, Bryce teams had gone 0-6 against Reno, so uh, he was saying that uh, Hamilton was really happy after the game. Yeah, I mean, Bryce had a smile as, as big as I've ever seen on his face uh, after the win. You know, even, uh, you know, National Player of the, or Player of the Week, he just kind of, you know, did his shrug and, you know, had his little shy smile. But, I mean, he, he could not keep a smile off his face in the locker room. He was so excited. And he, and he told the guys. He was like, that's my first win against Reno. And the guys all, you know, swarmed him and they were celebrating with him. But, uh, no, it meant a lot to Bryce without question, uh, going through a couple of years and not being able to beat him. Big game for Donovan Williams, as I said. And, you know, it's crazy on both sides. Uh, two major injuries for Reno had them uh, down for the count. You know, uh, I think mentally in the first half, they came out and really fought in the second, but no Grant Sherfield for Reno. But Williams' return was big. He had 17, and if he can stay healthy with the knee, now it opens up the lineups across the board for Kevin Kruger. Williams can play small forward or power forward, and then if, if they want to go super big, they have that option now too. Donovan's ability to shoot the ball, you know, kind of is the, the easy, uh, not answer, but the kind of the, the simple part of just spreading things out, you know, finding him and pulling the defenders away from the rim. But then also you got size and strength when you got two bigs out there that are incredibly athletic. So I, I think if we can just continue to find a little bit of a balance, uh, it, it can be really tough to prepare for. Because even Reno, you know, when they got two seven-footers out there, it's a whole different prep and mindset than when they go four guards. And I think we can be similar just maybe without the height. Good job by the Rebels. Good, by, uh, good job by the crowd. Lots of students showed up last night. Best student crowd of the year. And no surprise, it was the crowd of the year. All right, on the way back, we're going to get to uh, top stories, including Jim Harbaugh and his decision. He is not going to the NFL right now, at least in this case. He's going to pass on the Vikings. He's going to return to Michigan. It's the Big Five at Five, brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. He's done all he can do uh, at, at Michigan. Uh, you know, he beat the odds. He silenced his critics. He got to the playoffs and then naturally got blown out by uh, a Southern team. And I think that would tell him that he's, he's reached his peak. He's reached, he's reached the ceiling, so this would be a good time to go. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. One of ESPN's uh, ultra-talented radio host, Paul Feinbaum, who, in that case, I, you know, I, don't, I don't even know what to believe with Feinbaum because I think a lot of it is a bit and fanning the flames. You heard the you know, got blown out by a team from the South. Uh, if you don't know that, well, that was before all the news that's come down the last 45 minutes. So uh, Harbaugh is staying at Michigan. So Feinbaum saying, hey, he beat the odds. He's doing, he did all he could. It's Michigan. He didn't beat the odds and he can keep winning. And by the way, if Ohio State can compete with the SEC teams, so can Michigan. So that is, there's a little bit of Southern 
the the bit that he plays with all the goober callers. There's a little bit of Southern flexing there from Feinbaum saying that it's time for Harbaugh to go. That is stupid. Michigan is a great job. Now, that said, Harbaugh is not taking the Vikings job. He's going back to Michigan. If I were a Michigan fan, I'd have really mixed feelings. It's good for the short term. But I will tell you this. The Michigan admin and the fans certainly should be prepped for Harbaugh to pull this every year. Because if he was interested in going to the NFL this year, why wouldn't he be interested again next year? Hell, in three days, if the Saints called and they're like, hey, we'll give you full control, because maybe that's what it came down to with the Vikings, he could leave for the Saints. So it, this is a weird, weird story, but you're fine, Bound. Cut it out, man. I mean, we're not, I mean, a lot of people buy it, so a lot of people are going to get worked about it, and I just yelled about it, but it, it clearly is a bit. Now, here's the other thing. Uh, now we've got reports that Harbaugh not taking the Vikings. Patrick Graham interviewed yesterday the D.C. of the Giants. It doesn't look like he's going to get to jive either. Uh, Kevin O'Connell, who you and every football fan should know if you've been around for a while, a former quarterback at San Diego State back in you know around 2007, 2008, third-round pick in the NFL. Well, O'Connell's bounced all around the National Football League. He's been with the Patriots, the Lions, the Jets on a couple of occasions, Chargers, Dolphins, and... Check that. No, I was reading. You know, I was reading his playing career. Um, his coaching career, Niners, Redskins football team commanders. And last year, how do you get a job in the NFL? You work with the boy genius. So he was he is with the Rams. Um, and listen, working with Sean McVay is that's the path to a job. So yeah, pro football talk saying reports. Vikes expect to hire Kevin O'Connell after the Super Bowl. So, boy, that moved quickly, didn't it? Yesterday we thought Harbaugh to the Vikings. Today we thought Harbaugh to the Vikings. And then we find out Harbaugh, no Vikings, back to Michigan. And now Kevin O'Connell looks like he's going to be the coach of the Vikings. Let's check in on all the Raiders news. One of our buddies who works for SiriusXM uh, does MMA, is a gigantic sports guy, Raiders fan, does the Autumn Windbags podcast. We're going to talk to our pal R.J. Clifford in just a few on all the Raiders goings on. Stick around. Cofield and Company returns in minutes in the Finley Toyota Studios. You're listening to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, rolling on here on this Wednesday, Cofield and company. Let's get into some more thoughts on the uh, dynamic duo of Dave Ziegler as GM with the Raiders and Josh McDaniels as the head coach. RJ Clifford does the podcast, The Autumn Windbags, longtime Raiders fan, media guy with Sirius XM on the uh, fight side of things. RJ, I thought one of the most impressive things with Josh McDaniels was talking about his Broncos experience and being willing to admit, you know what? It didn't work out. And I self-reflected. Yeah. Admitting, admitting, I mean, again, that I think self-awareness is like the hardest thing for any human being, I think to do. And for a head coach with a, with a six Super Bowl rings, being able to admit your faults can, can be a tough one. But um, I think he knows like, look, he's got, he's got, 
and that's the hardest thing he has to do. Like Rich Passaccio was beloved by the players, and all signs are he's going to be gone. Right? I would love to at least keep him as a special teams coach. I think keep that locker room going and that magic that we had last season. I mean, the Raiders with that four game win streak at the end and win ten games overall, like they're less talented than basically all the teams they beat to close out the season. I mean, the Chargers, super talented. The Colts, like more Pro Bowlers than any other team in the AFC. And the Raiders beat both of them. It wasn't because we were more talented, right? It had to have been coaching and team cohesiveness, and there was magic in the air in Las Vegas, and that's how we got the 10 wins into the playoffs. So trying to keep that magic is going to be tough with a brand-new regime and a guy that's not really known for his personal skills. So uh, the fact that he's at least aware of it is at least, like you said, a good step in the right direction. RJ Clifford's with us here on Cofield and Company here on this Wednesday. Uh, what'd you make of the the Sunday happenings? First of all, when it was getting pretty clear that McDaniels was going to get the job, all of a sudden Max Crosby tweets out support for Basaccia. Derek Carr retweets it. Apparently Josh Jacobs sent out a uh, clenched teeth emoji once the news was really becoming official on Josh McDaniels and then deleted it. Nate Hobbs also sent out a, a really heartfelt message about Rich Basaccia. It's kind of a weird situation in a lot of ways, a very unique situation McDaniels is walking into with a, a well-liked coach who actually won as an interim. So not only does he have to you know win over the locker room like any coach does, but he's got to kind of smooth over. Uh, now these you know these guys are kind of – I don't know if they're upset Basaccia is gone, but they really like Basaccia. Yeah, I mean – and, and- – I think it's going to be awkward at first. It's going to be tough for players at first, but players will get over it because they have to, right? They have to. Um, you know, coaches change and regimes change and GMs change, and you and you have to get over it. You gotta and you gotta do your thing, right? But it's like McDaniel's has a lot of pressure. I mean, when you have a regime change, it's normally because the team is terrible, right? You fire a head coach and GM is because it's a losing record and everything's but This is a ten-win playoff team with coming off a great draft class and multiple pro bowlers and a franchise quarterback in a 10-win season. I mean, Ziegler and McDaniels are coming into the best possible situation you can in a regime change. So it's not like, well, you know, just give us a couple seasons and we'll get this thing back on track. Like, this thing is on track. I think that's why Ziegler and McDaniels chose now to be, you know, to start their own things because they had an amazing opportunity in Las Vegas. So they, they don't have time to figure this out. Like, the Raiders have improved every single season the last four seasons. And so if they anything less than 10 wins, it's got to be considered a failure. So I hope they understand that pressure and what they got to do. They weren't exactly 100% committal on Derek Carr and his future because we know Derek Carr is up for a contract after this coming season. What do you think will happen with Derek Carr? What do you think they do with Derek Carr? I'm almost positive they keep him. Give him an extension, pay him, and he'll be around for, I don't know, four or five-year contract, something like that. Um, all reports are that uh, McDaniels loves Derek Carr. And this is the thing. It's like, what's your re- – what's like – GMs got to think differently than fans, right? Fans, it's so easy to say, get rid of the quarterback. Get rid of Carr. And we know how polarizing Derek Carr is, right? Get rid of him. Then it's like, okay, well, then what? What do you, what do, you do then? Do you have – like, this draft class is terrible for quarterbacks. Um, every year we feel like, you know, Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers are going to leave. They never do. It's like, who are you going to replace Derek Carr with that's better than Derek Carr? I mean, it's good luck. So I think, I think they understand that. I think they know that you know, their, their jobs are obviously on the line with this now. That they, and if they screw up a franchise quarterback in season one, 
it's not going to be great for them. So uh, they'll obviously make their changes with the roster and, and start building it in their image, but I, I would be shocked if they move on from Derek Carr. Yeah, I think the aggressive plan would be flip Carr somewhere else, get multiple picks back, because I think you have some teams that are high-level and mid-level teams, right, mm-hmm. like the Steelers, uh, potentially the Colts. Uh, I think the crazy one now is the Buccaneers. If Bruce Arians is coming around, you think Bruce Arians is going with Kyle Trask or you know someone off the trash heap? Probably not. So they yeah. could be in the market for a quarterback. No, a lot has to come together, and you also have to kind of manage and massage the situation. You know, you could move Derek Carr four picks and then take a bunch of those picks and try to upgrade a quarterback. And now that's assuming that you can win with the uh, with the the assets you have that you can win Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. So you'd be playing a pretty dangerous game, and it would be risky for a new regime because if they fail, all of a sudden, like you said, there's a lot of pressure, and now they just, you know, they flipped Carr, and now they didn't get a guy who's an upgrade. And, and again, it's like this is a this is a team trending in the right direction. I mean, other than Alex Leatherwood, like our draft class last season was fantastic. I mean, we got starters. We got guys that are potential pro bowlers. Um, you know, we've got good, a good young core, right? We had a lot of guys on one-year contracts, so there's a lot of holes to fill, but like 10-win season, franchise quarterback, you're already replacing the GM, head coach, and most likely a bunch of coordinators. It's like, you really want to flip your quarterback as well? Like, this isn't a, a team that needs to be rebuilt, and you're already kind of half doing it. I, I just don't, I just don't see them moving on from Carr. Would you go into the season with Carr just on a one-year deal? Could that work? No. No, he's got it. He doesn't have to any money. No way. He's not going to No guaranteed money on this year? No. Now, like, to your point, this is an attractive guy to trade because he's got – his contract is great and it's no, you know, there's no guaranteed money. It's an easy contract to trade. Um, but, no, they gotta, they got to extend him before the season. Let's go back to your line about separation of uh, personnel duties and, you know, drafting with a, a GM in place who has final say – and a coach, so a coach doesn't have uh, you know too much say in this whole thing. And you mentioned you have to treat the players like assets, and sometimes you got to have you know uh, good cop, bad cop in terms of what you're going to do with your personnel. What do you see long term from the Patriots' way? We don't know exactly how these guys operate. If they're you know Belichickian in their attitude towards players, what do you think happens long term with contracts? Because you know if you look at the way Belichick builds a team. When Max Crosby's up here for a contract, Belichick was never really a guy on defense who'd be like, hey, this guy's a stud, young defensive end. Let's pay him $22 yeah. million dollars a year. I wonder what happens, you know, when Waller's up again. You know, Darren Waller making seven, eight, nine million million. That ain't going to fly, uh, you know, relatively yeah. soon. That's going to have to bump up to $15 million. I wonder what happens with, you know, the few stars they have on the team who can make, you know, top five at their position money. Right, and that was always, and this is the this is what's so curious is how much of the roster success is due to Ziegler, and how much was due to Belichick. Obviously, Belichick had final say, but how much influence did Ziegler truly have? Was he just basically an elaborate scout for Belichick to make all the decisions, or was he making all the decisions and Belichick just kind of signed signed it off? Right, like that's something that we don't know, and we're gonna have to find out. I mean, Belichick, I think, has always been pretty overrated as a drafter. But what he is good at is he knows his own roster. Like, he gets rid of guys right before, like, when their value is the highest and right before they're, they're going to start failing. So that's what he's so good at. And so um, I don't – like, they're not going to be able to replicate that because they don't have Belichick. But can can the Zealer do the same exact thing? Like, that's what I'm most curious about is how Belichickian 
Ziegler is going to be with this roster. And let's also let's deal in reality here with fans. And we got RJ Clifford with us. Uh, he's a podcaster. Does Autumn Wind Bags. Is on SiriusXM as an MMA expert. Um, you're a fan. Let's also uh, put on the fan hat and let, let's talk about guys like Devontae Adams. Do we see this regime going out and saying, hey, we need to fill a hole. Let's go get a receiver for $18, 20000000 million a year. So that's when I start thinking in, um, about like how this offense is going to look and what McDaniels does. Um, it's a roster that McDaniels generally works with, right? Runs a lot of you know 21, right? Two, uh, two running backs in the tight end, right? We've got a bunch of highly paid good running backs. Um, we've got a full-time fullback, which a lot of teams don't. And uh, two awesome, you know, essentially three really good tight ends and one superstar tight end. Um, I think they're gonna. He's gonna have um, uh, Hunter Renfro be as Wes Walker. I think Renfro is gonna get a ton of off, you know, ton of catches next season. I think Waller's gonna have another great season. Um, but it, we, what we do need is a, just a big X receiver, and he runs his offense runs so many like choice routes. Like he needs a really smart wide receiver, like. You got to have a, a veteran, smart guy that's been in one of those offenses before. Um, so Devontae Adams would be great. I mean, it'd be amazing to have you know Carr and Adams back together again. Uh, do you want to spend twenty million dollars of your uh, of your cap space on a you know cor- a receiver in his thirties? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, who wouldn't want Devontae Adams on their team? But I just feel like that could be used better elsewhere. I'd rather I'd rather have a much cheaper option but a guy that knows the system as our ex, because we definitely do need one, right? We definitely need a new ex receiver and it's gotta be, it's gotta be someone with experience in that system. Well, maybe Jake Paul can fight Sudo. There'll be a 70 pound weight difference, but screw it. Let's just make super That's part fights. Of the course for Jake Paul, right? right? Yeah, exactly. He's fighting welterweights and now he's calling out lightweights. I mean, Sudo's next, right? Autumn Windbags, Autumn Windbags podcast. Tell people when that drops and then when your shows are on uh, where they can listen on Sirius XM. Uh, yeah, so on SiriusXM Fight Nation, channel 156, uh, you can go there on uh, mornings. We're on from 9 to 11. Uh, me with Anthony Smith, Dean Thomas, a bunch of talented hosts. Ryan McKinnell, who you guys know, is on there as well. Uh, and then the Autumn Windbags, it's on YouTube and all of the different podcast platforms, every single one of them. Uh, give, them, give, them a, give me a follow, like, comment, subscribe. Smash that subscribe button. You know <laughs> He's a busy guy. He's a dad. We totally appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time, RJ. Thank you so much. And Frankie says sorry for all the loud noises. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. I was very impressed with how exhausted they were just in their evaluation of me and my fit and how I would fit into their vision. And then you come out and you spend time with them. You meet the people. You see that everything's done in a first-class manner. Um, Their commitment to winning is easy to feel, to see. Now, back to Cofield and Company. And to me, walking through this building, having a sense of the history and tradition of this organization and how much that impacts you know, the day-to-day here, it really hit me. This is one of those iconic places. It's a historic organization that has unbelievable history and tradition, um, you know, and it's in every hallway. The hire of the Raiders, along with uh, Dave Ziegler, is the uh, Patriot way coming to the West. You know, it's funny how much these shows change throughout the show, and we try to game plan ahead of time. We try to book ahead, and, you know, we wanted to hunt down some former Patriots who had had a chance to deal with the the Patriot way and, and Josh McDaniels and 
We were like, you know, let, let's get Kyle Brady on. He's been on in the past. He's been a good guest, former tight end around the NFL with the Jets, the Jags, and the Patriots. And, like, as we come up to the spot here, I'm like, there's 50 breaking news items around the National Football League. Kyle, thank God. First of all, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. No problem. Glad to be with you guys. I, I was going to say, thank God for the NFL that they have this two-week buffer before the Super Bowl. Because can you imagine the Super Bowl going down with all that's going on around the NFL? Like, as people settle into L.A., this this has been one of the craziest times I've ever seen around the league. Yeah, it's been pretty eventful. I know being here in Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I live now post-career, um, <laughs> I listen to the local sports talk radio, and uh, there's a lot of frustration down here that we're not one of the teams yet. We're not one of the franchises that's hired a new head coach, and there's a lot of speculation down here about why that is. But uh, I know that that's, you know, uh, obviously going on in a number of different places, and you guys are settled in, and uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, let's talk about being settled in. Uh, you know, you were around the Patriots, around Josh McDaniels. You know, in general, what was your experience, and what do you think these guys bring out west? You know, he's a top-rate coach. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. The Patriot way, he's as familiar with it as anyone uh, out there. He's been a part of that culture now for quite some time. Uh, he's an excellent play caller, a brilliant offensive mind. Um, I think he's got a great feel for uh, coaching modern NFL players. He's been doing it now. Um, you know, he's he's relevant. He's current. And uh, even when I was, you know, with the Patriots years ago, um, I could just see his demeanor and how he handled uh, personalities. And uh, you know, because it was an interesting time. You know, we had just brought in Randy Moss and Adelius Thomas and Wes Welker, and um, obviously they already had so many existing superstars from the. Super Bowl years they'd already had it by that time. I mean, guys like Teddy Bruschi and uh, Rodney Harrison and um, so many others that were all pro caliber. And, of course, Tom Brady at the, at the lead. And uh, But, you know, you, you bring that melting pot and mix all those people in a room, and it can be difficult to get all of them to get on the same page quickly. Now, obviously, Brady helps a lot with that because he's excellent at bringing people together. But, um, but the OC and the guy that's play calling and running the room, um, plays a big role in that, and uh, his personality, his awareness, his insight into people was exceptional, and uh, that was something that was very evident from the first time I sat down with him, and uh, the way he could handle a room of uh, egos and things of that nature, which um, that seems to have increased tenfold even from the time I was in the league, you know, now with the social media culture and the followings these guys have, and the salaries that are being commanded that are sometimes even more than a coach. And, you know, players understand the position they're in and the power they sometimes have, the leverage they have in the eyes of ownership and management, things like that. So uh, all the pressure uh, has even increased since that time uh, on coaches to handle and manage that. I don't think there's a better personality and a better individual to handle that type of pressure than him because uh, he exemplified that certainly and uh, lived that out, fleshed it out um, while I was there in, in, a, in a way that was really uh, unique. You were there in New England in 2007. McDaniels leaves shortly after that. He admitted in the press conference here that, you know what, it was a learning experience in Denver. I made some mistakes. You know, I, I, did, I didn't know enough about, about people, you know, just about, about football. Can you, can you speak to, I mean, I guess every adult can speak to maturing from, you know, 32 to 44 years old, but the, the learning curve for coaches, I mean, you were coached by a lot of guys and, you know, not at, well, no one is a finished product. I mean, coaches, just like players, are learning all the time, too. Well, yeah, it's very true. I mean, um, 
you're not learning, you're not growing, you know, and uh, guys at that level, you know, they're, they're, they're encountering so many things as they go. Yeah, and I had some, but I think the most unique thing about my career is, um, is the coaches I had an opportunity to play for. I not only played for Bill Belichick uh, in New England, but before that I played for Bill Parcells at the New York Jets, and Belichick was on the staff, actually, as the defense coordinator. Tom Coughlin in, uh, in Jacksonville, and then uh, Joe Paterno in college. So I, I feel like the, the best thing about my football resume was that existing under that leadership for the amount of years I had the opportunity and the privilege to play for those guys. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure every one of them would kind of give a testimony, so to speak, about their transformation as coaches and how they grew to understand how, how they needed to coach. And, and not just X's and O's, but also you just didn't, even more importantly, in, in handling people and um, and knowing, uh, you know, how to communicate with them. And uh, I think all of us grow in that respect. Hopefully, for the better as we as we age and mature. And um, I think there's no place that's more important for it than the pressure packed environment of, of professional sports and football in, in, in America today. And they got to really know how to handle and manage those personalities. Looking at this from uh, a distance with Belichick. Are you surprised a little bit? This is something that's never happened where Belichick's allowed or had uh, multiple people who worked with him, you know, to leave to go to another location. It looks like they're actually going to bring in the Raiders are going to bring in their the quarterbacks coach, a young dude who's only 37 years old. So it could be three, at least three uh, Belichick staffers who are going to be coming out west. I mean, I guess I don't want to say, like, is Belichick looking at the end of the road here or he's kind of just admitting, hey, I got to be Saban-like and we're going to have a lot of staff changes. What? What do you think, being you know, two and three guys kind of splinter off from Belichick? Yeah, that's tough. That's a big hole in your staff. And, I mean, obviously it's a gaping hole when you lose an offensive coordinator as talented as, as Josh McDaniel. And then when you lose a couple other guys on your staff, I mean, uh, yeah, he's definitely going to have to test that quickly. But there's probably no one that's more connected in the NFL. I mean, he's been around, what, longer than anyone. I mean, he's been coaching in the NFL since the 1970s. And uh, so he knows about everybody out there. So I, I think he'll be as competent and, and as able to bring in um, good coaches, even if he has to do it possibly from the college level. Uh, but he'll get that worked out. And, yeah, I, I don't know how much longer he plans to do it. I mean, certainly had they had an uptick this year. And uh, with their young quarterback, they developed him really well. And as the year went on, they got better and better. And it, I was happy to see that, you know, because there's been a lot of naysayers out there saying, oh, it was all Brady. But, you know, you lose a guy like Brady, and it takes time to reload, you know, and um, get things figured out at the most important position on the on the field. But it seems like they've they've managed to uh, get the right guy, you know, for their system and, and to lead their franchise for maybe the next decade or more. And, um, and now they just got to put the, put a couple pieces that they lost in terms of coaching back in place to uh, keep that thing going the right direction. What do you think of the Raiders' personnel? I mean, you played the position tight end. Uh, the Patriots had a lot of success with tight ends in the past. You know, they just rebuilt their tight end position this last year. I think a lot of Raiders fans are super excited. Like, hey, we have Darren Waller. They've got a you know a good uh, younger guy uh, who's three years in and uh, Foster Morrow. I wonder what McDaniel's and company are going to bring to the offense with you know talent like with the tight end. Yeah, I know uh, Coach McDaniel. You know, Josh, he's a uh... He loves having great athletes on the field, you know, and uh, the more options a quarterback has, the better. Waller's a unique talent. I've had an opportunity to watch him some. We don't get as many of the West Coast games out here, you know, on the East Coast as, as I would like. And interestingly enough, I might have told you guys this, about this before, but I, I was a Raider fan growing up. I'm a lefty, and uh, 
Back in the day when Kenny Stabler was a quarterback at Snake, left-handed quarterback. Yeah, those are my teams, man. I, I, I enjoyed watching the Raiders. Loved watching them beat the Eagles in 83 in the Super Bowl. I mean, I lived in Pennsylvania. I was not a popular guy when the Raiders were playing them, and I was wearing Raiders hats and sweatshirts to, to school, you know. But, um, yeah, so I, I, I'd like to see the Raiders franchise do well, and I think McCarran was the right guy for the job. And, and if anyone is aware of how to get his athletes on the field in, in situations that and one thing I noticed about, you know, the Belichick, Parcells, Coughlin, because they're all in the Parcells tr- coaching tree, right? Uh, Belichick was the defense coordinator for Parcells. Uh, Coughlin was one of his offensive coaches at the Giants. Uh, one thing they're as good at as any, any group of coaches is understanding their players' strengths and weaknesses and getting them on the field in situations that will accentuate their strengths and getting them off the field in situations that will expose their weaknesses. I mean, they're just, they're all master chess players and they learn from each other. And I think McDaniel has that quality. He's aware of how to do that. So no matter whether it's the tight end or the running back or the wide receiver, he's going to employ that same type of discernment when it comes to um, getting his athletes on the field. I'm going to come out of left field on this one because i got to get your take on this. And Kyle Brady's with us, former Penn State player, played in the National Football League, at tight end with the Jets, the Jaguars, the Patriots, giving us some knowledge on the Patriot way. And McDaniels and uh, – and Belichick, I don't know if you've seen the news, uh, but it's uh, coming down in the last couple hours that Jim Harbaugh is not going to go to the NFL, at least with the Vikings. He's going to go back to Michigan. I just want your general view on college football right now. It is completely different. I'm going to sound like an old guy. It's completely different than when, when we grew up, right? Players have the ability to move wherever they want, and now you're seeing coaches. This is weird, man. I mean, I if I'm a Michigan player, I'm looking around. I'm like, wait, was Coach leaving? He's back. Is he here for a week? These are these are bizarro times in college football. Yeah, and actually, you know what? I heard earlier today that Harbaugh was considering the Vikings job. Now he's he's basically stated that he's going to stay in Michigan. He's staying in Michigan. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, uh, there's some things like what just this past summer they passed the uh, the NIL went in. You know, the name, image, image and likeness stuff. And I know that was based on some court cases that were won even a while ago. And um, yeah, that changes the whole dynamic. You know, now it's a matter. of kids actually can be paid, you know, to, to play. And uh, I don't know all the details yet about uh, how that, that revenue trickles down to them, whether it's put in trust or kind of how that's handled. But then, then it starts to look like it could be more like professional sports where it's a bidding war. And now there's the transfer portal and kids can go from place to place, you know. So, I mean, uh, as a guy that played at Division on college level, you know, and, and had a chance to go out and make, make an income, you know, earn a living playing the game. I did feel bad for the guys. We had an, we had an undefeated team at Penn State. We went 12-0 and run the, won the Rose Bowl. Made a ton of money for the school, I'm sure. You know, many right. millions of dollars. But there's only a few of us that went on to, you know, a number of us actually that went on to play substantial or, you know, considerable pro careers where we actually had an opportunity to make an income for with our talents. There were so many guys in that team that contributed to the, the success of that team that never made a cent, you know, and... Um, so I, I don't really have a problem with that, but it, it certainly changes the dynamics, and uh, hopefully it doesn't tear it apart, though. You know, it has the potential to. And, um, you know, I, I know that when free agency first hit the NFL, a lot of a lot of people really were bummed about it because they hated to see their stars moving on. You know, from the player perspective, it was a great thing because, you know, now you can go to the highest bidder for your services, and you have such a short time window for to maximize your income as a player, especially in football, a game as physical as that, with the average career being so much shorter. But um, there's a lot of dynamics that have changed in college football, and 
it'll be interesting to see the direction it goes in the coming years. Kyle, I pushed it to the brink on our show. I totally appreciate you calling in, especially a little later East Coast time. Thank you so much for checking in with us. That was a great conversation. I hope you're doing well. Thank you. Hey, thanks, guys. Y'all take care. There is Kyle Brady, the former tight end uh, in the National Football League with the Jets, the Jaguars, the Patriots. Thanks to all the folks at at the uh, Shrine Bowl event today. More of those conversations will go out on Twitter. For Ari, it's Cofield. Stick around. Lots more great sports talk right here on ESPN Las Vegas.